have you found Hebrews by now? If you haven't, we're going to get started anyway, but we will put the words on the screen so you can follow along. And I want to give you a little context on the book of Hebrews, because Hebrews is a fascinating book in Scripture. It's, it's doctrinal, it's practical, it's instructional, it's theological, it's pastoral, but it also stands unique among the other books in the New Testament because the details around its origins and authorship is unknown. Now, historically, people attribute the book of Hebrews to Paul because so much of the theology and language that's used in there sounds very similar to how Paul communicates and other letters that he wrote. But what's different about the book of Hebrews is there's no salutation. It's not addressed to people like most of Paul's other epistles or letters like Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Romans. And, and there's no valediction at the end. He, he doesn't sign a farewell or, or give a greeting at the end. So for that reason, some people think that maybe the book of Hebrews was written by one of his contemporaries like Apollos or Luke or Barnabas. But the best scholarship actually says that most likely the book of Hebrews was a transcription of a sermon or an address that Paul gave. That's why it, it sounds very similar to the way he communicates, but it, it's lacking some of those other things like, like greetings and that. Because, you know, we don't, we don't write the same way that we speak. But even though its authorship is ambiguous, its purpose is not. Its purpose is very clear. It's written to Jewish Christians who were undergoing intense persecution at the time. And uh, these Christians had, held, had found comfort and, and they'd found love and support from other Christians who'd come around them. But despite the trials that they've gone through earlier, they really haven't matured in their faith. And now in this new wave of persecution that they're about to face, well, uh, they're, they're not moving forward. They're beginning to give up hope. Ra rather than move forward, take some next steps, they're, they're thinking about going back, returning. Returning to Judaism, because by returning to Judaism, they would avoid the persecution they were experiencing as a Christian. So the author... He's speaking to them to encourage them in their walk with God. And because he's addressing a primarily Jewish audience, he quotes many parts of the Old Testament to illustrate why Jesus is better. Why Jesus is better than anything that they could go back to or anything else that they could turn to. He, he's saying, you need to know that Jesus is superior to, to all those former things. So, so don't go back that way, continue to move forward. And this is where I want to pick up in Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to read two verses, verse 5 and 6, to start. And I want to use this as a foundation for all the scripture that we're going to look at today. So in verse 5, the writer, he's talking about the tabernacle that Moses was commanded to build while the Israelites were in the wilderness. And he says this, Hebrews 8 verse 5, when Moses made a house for God, here is what God told him to do. He said, be sure you make everything like I showed you on the mountain. But Christ has been given a much better work because he is the man who is between God and men in making an agreement. This is a much better agreement. It was made by better promises. I'm calling this message today, if you're taking notes, Blueprints for Better. Blueprints for Better. But that's not my real title. That's like the church title. 
My real title, if you, if you want to know, I only tell this to the people I like. The first service didn't get it. Don't tell them. The, the real title is Chip Away at It. Chip Away at It. Uh, I know we prayed, but I, I think somebody needs some double prayer. I just want to ask for God's help as I communicate this word. Would you bow your head with me? God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Every time we come into your presence and your word, you speak to us. And God, I ask that you would use me today. You know what people are facing, what they're experiencing, what they're carrying, what they're going through, what they're dealing with. And only you can take one message and speak to so many people on a personal level. So God, use me to do that today and help people bring strength, bring support, bring encouragement. I ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. I'm curious, um, how many of you have ever undertaken a renovation project? Anybody ever undertaken a renovation project? A number of you have. Um, Is there anybody going through like a renovation right now? Maybe at work or at home? Anybody just need to make sure I see your hand. Renovation right now? Because I want to pray for you if you are. Because that's a, it's not fun. I'm, I'm not big on construction projects. I need to explain that a little bit because, um, you know, people mean different things when they talk about renovation. Like, Marissa and I are really not big on construction projects. So for, for her, a renovation is like a new paint color, you know, let's buy all new furniture, let's make a target run and decorate the house different. That's a renovation. Um, you know, for some of you, it doesn't count unless you tear something down. That's only when it becomes a renovation. Uh, I've seen other people, though, it's like they, they, you know, will take a house and they will remove everything but the foundation and build a completely new house, and they call it a renovation. And that's just, that's, that's lying, okay? You need to stop that and repent. But uh, I, I'm not, it might not come as a surprise to you, I'm, I'm really not big on building projects. I mean, I like this building project. This was a good one. Um, but I didn't have to do the labor. You know, we just paid people to do it, and I got to say, oh, I want this, or I don't want that. But, but I guess I'm trying to communicate, like, construction is not my gifting, it's really not my gifting. Uh, in fact, if you ever see me at Home Depot, you can just assume that I'm lost. Because <laughs> I, I will do whatever I can to avoid. I will send Marissa there before I, I go there um, to do anything. Although I will tell you, I did actually, uh, when we first moved into the house we're in now, uh, I, I did a construction project. I built some shelves for Marissa as a gift in our basement. I was so proud of that. It only took me 23 trips to Home Depot. Um, to get that done, two YouTube videos, and, uh, and it's done. But um, the, the ironic part of this story is that I, I used to, prior to being a pastor, I actually used to work for two different construction companies. And uh, I just got to I feel bad every day for anybody who ever bought a house that I worked on <laughs> because uh, they did not get their money's worth. And if you're watching, just, I, I repent and forgive me. But uh, I... It's not just major renovations and major construction. Like, I don't even like the small projects. I don't like putting together IKEA furniture. Does anybody? Like, in my opinion, if it comes in pieces, you don't need to put it together. Like, if it doesn't come built already, then you don't need it. (laughs) But I just, I I, I don't like all the pieces and all the instructions that you have to follow. and, And that's why... In this passage, uh, I got a little chuckle because I can relate as well as being frustrated with Moses because the writer in Hebrews is, is referencing an instruction that God gave Moses 
right at the end of the Ten Commandments. Now, if you're not familiar, most people kind of know the story of the Ten Commandments, how, how God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, and, and while he was there, God, with his finger, inscribed, engraved onto two tablets of stone some laws that he wanted his people to abide by. But that's not all that happened on Mount Sinai. If you read in the book of Exodus, if you read about it, Moses was up there on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and God spoke to him about all sorts of things. See, he spoke to him about the principles that the people of God, the Israelites, were going to need to follow as they entered into the promise. And he, he spoke to them about his heart and his will and his desire for them. And one of the things that he spoke to them about, that God spoke to Moses about, he said, it's my desire that I would dwell in their midst. And so, so the way I want to do this, Moses, is I want you to build me a house, a tabernacle, a, a sanctuary. I want you to build me a place where I can be in the midst, in the middle of everything going on in the lives of the Israelites. No matter where they go while they were in the wilderness, I want to be at the center of it. I want you to build me a place where people can come and worship. I want you to build me a, a, a place where, where people can experience and receive forgiveness and offer sacrifices. I, I want you to build a place where, where people can hear from me and I can speak to the people and, and they can experience my presence and my protection. I, I want you to build this house. And so God said all of this to Moses and he gave him the blueprints for how it was to be built. But what's interesting is God... He didn't just tell Moses what to build, you know, I want this room and I want it to look like this. No, he, he told him how to build it. And, and, and the way he told him to build it, he said, this is where I can relate. He's like, Moses, this is too much for you. You're going to need some skilled people. You're going to need some artists. You're going to need some sculptors. You're going to need some engravers. You're going to need some people that I have gifted who know how to do this work and I've already put this on their heart. You're going to need some people that know how to do the hard things and work with hard things. People that know how to work with gold and marble and stone and bronze. You're going to need people with a heart for this work. And so I just want to visit what God said to Moses. You can find this in Exodus chapter 31. Moses is on the mountains toward the end of the tail commandment of the Ten Commandments, tail end of the Ten Commandments. And Exodus 31, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, I've chosen Bezalel, great baby name if you're looking, Bezalel from the Judah tribe to make the sacred tent and its furnishings. Not only have I filled him with my spirit, but I have given him wisdom and made him a skilled craftsman who can create objects of art with gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. I've appointed Aholiab, another one, just take notes, baby names, here to help you out. Aholiab from the tribe of Dan to work with him. And I've also given skills to those who will help them make everything exactly as I've commanded you. And it says in Exodus 36 verse 1, the Lord has given Bezalel and Aholiab, I really want to bring those names back, Let's get a campaign, bring those names back. And others, the skills needed for building a place of worship, and they will follow the Lord's instructions. So 
God said to Moses, I'm giving you this pattern. I'm giving you these blueprints. I'm giving you this design. Here's all the things I want. I, I, I want it to be this big and this long. I want it fashioned this way. I, I want you to use these materials. I want this room, and I want this object. I want these furnishings, all of this stuff. But understand, Moses, how it's done matters just as much as what is done. He says, you need these people, Bezalel and Aholiab, you need these people who are sculptors. You need these people who are engravers. You need these people who are builders, who are used to working with hard stuff, who are artists. You need these people to do the work. I've already gifted them. They're skilled. And I like what he says. says they're not only gifted and skilled, but they're going to be willing to do the work. Just as a side note, can I tell you, God isn't just looking for people who are gifted and people who are skilled. He's also looking for people with a willing heart. You got to have a willing heart. In fact, don't use them if they don't have a willing heart. So they're not just going to be willing, not going to give them skill. I have filled these people with my spirit. It's the first time in scripture we see this phrase, filled with the spirit of God. Can I tell you, being filled with the spirit doesn't make you weird. It makes you more effective to do what God has called you to do. And so he wants them to know all of this. And in the context that the writer of Hebrews is speaking about, remember we read Hebrews, we're going back to the context that he was referencing and going back to Hebrews now, he's mentioning this for a very specific purpose. The, these Jewish believers, they're thinking about going back. They're growing discouraged. They're feeling like they're losing hope. And maybe it'd be better to go back to Judaism. He says, no, I need you to understand that all these things you're familiar with, they're a pattern for what God wants to do in your life. And what God wants to do in your life is so much better. Let me look at this with you, and we'll jump to Hebrews 9, starting in verse 1. The writer begins to reference some of these things. That I didn't read it all in Exodus. He kind of summarizes some of it in Hebrews 9. He says, now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. That's what we were reading about that God told Moses to build. He says there was a tabernacle that was set up in its first room where the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread, this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. The ark had some contents. It contained the gold jar of manna. It also had Aaron's staff that had budded, the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. He says, but we can't discuss these things in detail now. So I don't, I don't have time to go into all of it. But if you jump down to verse 9, he says, but all of this is an illustration for the present time. In other words, he's saying, I don't have time to go into all the details about what this means. But I do want you to know that all of these details are meaningful. I can't explain it all to you. He's again likely given a sermon. He doesn't want to spend all the time here, but he says, even though I can't go into all the detail, you should. 
You should. There's a divine purpose in every detail that has a correlation to God's plan for you. And he says all of this, it's, it's an illustration. And as you read on, he, he gives some detail. He talks about the showbread representing the word of God. He talks about the altar of incense representing our worship, the holy of holies and the presence of God, the mercy seat representing God's grace, and how the altar represents a place of forgiveness and sacrifice. I can't go into every detail. I don't have time now. But you should. The, the details matter. Every detail has a divine directive for your life. Now, we know that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, other places Paul wrote, he says, God's Spirit doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands. I, I know sometimes we call church the house of God, and that's appropriate because this is the place where we come to meet with God, we come to worship God, we, we encounter God's presence in this place, I believe that, but, but truthfully, you know, God's spirit doesn't dwell in a temple or tabernacle or church, God's spirit lives in you. You are the temple of the spirit of God. And so I want to suggest to you that, you know, the place that God wants to build is you. The place that God wants to build is, is you. I want to suggest that the blueprint by which God builds our lives is still found in the pattern that God laid out for Moses. And I don't want to talk about what he does as much as I want to talk about how he does it. How he does it. Because God said, listen, Moses, I want you to use these two men, Aholiab, Bezalel, these men who I've filled with my spirit. I want you to use these two men who are skilled, these men who are sculptors, these men who are engravers. I I want you to use these men to build the place that my spirit will dwell. And I'd like to suggest to you today that the pattern God laid out for Moses is significant for me and for you because how God wants to do it in your life, the way God develops you is the same way he built his temple. Can you grab me that, Pastor Nate? The way God built his temple and the way God wants to develop you is with a hammer and a chisel. A hammer and a chisel. These are the tools of a sculptor. These are the tools of an engraver. And might I suggest to you that the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life is not always a gentle work. The Holy Spirit's the comforter, but the work he does in our life is not always comfortable. So sometimes God wants to deal with the hard places in your life. He, he wants to deal with those, those areas that you can't hold on to to move into where he's called you to go. So, so he says, there's, there's some bitterness that I gotta take care of, and he, he comes in with a hammer and a chisel, and he, he says, there's some selfishness I see that I want to break off of you. And he comes 
with a hammer and a chisel. He says there, there's some lust, some addiction, some, some greed, some, some sin, and you can't hold on to this stuff and go to the place I have for you. So he comes in, a hammer and a chisel. So, so much of what God does, he, he, he chips away at those places that he wants to remove. What I thought was interesting is that when God tells Moses to build this, to construct this, he does it while they're in the wilderness. He does it before they ever get to the place that they're supposed to go. He, he does it in a dry place, in a hard place. They're building and constructing, not waiting till they get there. Can I tell you, God doesn't wait for you to arrive for him to go to work in your life. He'll go to work while you're on the way. He'll say, while you're on the way to your destiny, while you're on the way to the place that I've called you, while you're on the way to where I want you to be, we'll go to work and we'll build this thing so I can put in you what I want to put in you. And that's so much of what the wilderness was for the Israelites. There was some stuff that God had to break off of them. They, they, were, they were known for working, they were slaves, they worked all the time. God says, I want to teach you about rest. So we've got, we got to break off that mindset. That they, they, they were workers. He says, I want to teach you about worship. We've got to break off some of that stuff. They, all they had known was the life of slaves. Now they're about to be settlers, so that they had to break off in the wilderness some of those old ways of thinking. Now, admittedly, the hammer and the chisel is not the most pleasant process that God could use. But when God comes in and says, I want to build your life with this, it, it's implied that there's going to be some pain. It's funny because whenever we go through painful things in our life, sometimes we'll say, well, it was a character-building moment for me. Have you ever heard that? It's character-building. I had to go through something that was painful. You know, it's fascinating. Character is actually a Greek word. It's Greek. It's the origin of it. You know what it means? It's this. This is character in the Greek. That that tool that was used to sculpt, that the tool that was used to engrave, you look it up, the, the word character is a sharp, pointy object used by a sculptor. Now, by implication, they would use this tool to create an image. And so by extension, when we would talk about a person, the way it became their, their character is we say, well, it's their, their true image. It's their character. Isn't it fascinating that to really know somebody's character, though, you have to get beneath the surface. You can't just take things at face value. It's what's underneath. That's what reveals their character. And that's the same way the Holy Spirit builds character in our life. It's by getting beneath the surface, to deal with those issues. And if you want to know what character development looks like, 
you have to get really familiar with this image. It looks like a hammer and a chisel. Character is not a spiritual gift. Some people aren't born with good character. God just bestows on them. The only way you develop character in your life is to go through a painful experience. Sometimes it's forced upon you. And God will chip away at that thing that he wants to remove. That's how character is developed. You can't develop character unless you've gone through some pain. That's why you shouldn't avoid critical conversations. That's why you should welcome feedback in your life. It's character building. That's why if you're a parent, you should discipline your kids. You don't need to be their friend. You need to be their parent. You need to be the authority in their life. I knew nobody would clap for that, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> the, the way God builds character is with a hammer and a chisel. The truth is, this is how character is developed in us. When people use you, people slander you, people question your motives, people misunderstand your passion, people misunderstand you, when you get rejected, when you get abandoned, when, when, when they bail on you and you're the one who's left holding all the pieces together, when you don't feel valued, that's how God develops character. Sometimes that piercing pain that you thought was the devil is actually God producing his purpose in your life. You know, when we're just pursuing things that are easy, we're just pursuing things that are convenient, when we're just orienting our life around our preference, when we're avoiding anything hard, when we console ourselves with excuses, we limit God's ability to work in our life, to form us into who he wants us to be. A pastor friend of mine told me this once. He said, often the difference between where you are and where you want to be is the painful decision you're unwilling to make. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing. I know it's kind of heavy, so I need to change it up a little bit. I, uh, <laughs> when I was excited about this message, I, I told my son Oliver, I always like to give my kids a preview because if they roll their eyes, it tells me I need to like, do a little more work on it. So I try and like, give my kids you know, some, some insight into what I'm going to talk about. And um, I was telling my son Oliver, I said, Oliver, I got this great idea for the sermon. I think I'm going to call it Chip Away at It. And I got this prop I'm going to use. And he said, oh, are you talking about golfing? golfing. Can you hear me that, Josh? Because, you see, <laughs> Oliver's a golfer. I'm, I'm not a golfer, but um, I did have somebody give me some clubs last year, so just trying to steward the gift that I've received. But um, with, with golf, you've got this other club, this tool, and uh, it's, you use it for what's called chipping. So when I, when I told Oliver that I was going to talk about chipping away at it, he thought I was, you know, talking about just, just chipping like that. But it, it's funny because <laughs> I'm not a good golfer, and uh, Oliver loves to go. I've tried going more, and, um, but I've known a lot of good golfers. And I, I know some people that have played professionally, and I, 
I'm always trying to get better, and I'm asking them, like, so what's, what do I need to work on? How, you know, watch my game, show me where I'm messing up. And they said, you know, really, the main difference between somebody who plays professionally and somebody who just plays for fun is their short game. Their short game. Meaning, like, a lot of people can hit the ball far and straight, but where most people miss it is in the short game, in the chipping. The chipping. You know, I think where a lot of us miss it is in the short game. In, in, in the small step. Most of us don't have problems with big vision, big goals, where we want to get to, what, what we would like to see happen in our life. Most of us, we've got the long game, but we miss it in the short game. We, we miss it in the small steps. And sometimes we don't take the small step because it's too painful, too inconvenient. To, to get in a group means I have to get out of my comfort zone. Or sometimes it's just your group, your friend group could be your velocity group, but you're trying to live your life where you keep your church life separate from your other life. It's too painful, too inconvenient. Don't want to go to essentials because it's a small step, but then I'd have to face the fact that I do have something to offer that God wants to use me, that I don't just want to be a bystander or a consumer. I'm called to be a contributor. Honoring God with, with the tithe, the, the first 10%. Sometimes we don't do that because it's this recognition, the first and best, because it's this recognition of an area that's our lives are unsubmitted. But can I tell you, the goal of every sculptor when he hammers is not to hurt you. It's to bring out the beautiful thing that's on the inside, that's beneath the surface. When God is going to work in your life, sometimes it feels like this. God, when are you going to stop? But can I tell you, he's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. He's, he's trying to reveal what he's put inside of you and bring it out. And the only way it happens is with the hammer and the chisel. It's funny because when we think about blueprints for better, <laughs> we think about renovations, generally what we think about is all the stuff that we don't have that we need to add. We might call it a renovation, and it's really an addition. I need to put this on. I need to build this. I need to add this. If we don't have this, this is what I'm missing. You know, God's construction projects, they're a little different. He says, you've already got everything you need. The problem is, you've got some stuff that's in the way. You've got some stuff that, that's keeping you from my best for you. You've got some stuff that if it stays there, you won't experience what I have for you. I was studying about sculpting because admittedly I don't know a lot. And um, doing a little research, I came across this article about Michelangelo. Michelangelo, of course, one of the greatest artists known ever, but particularly sculptor. Sculpting was his thing. He's known for painting the Sistine Chapel, but really he, he kind of had a low opinion of painting. His real passion was sculpting. Did David is maybe his most famous sculpture, but 
Michelangelo, there's 14 finished sculptures that he did that are known. But when he passed, they found 30 unfinished sculptures of his. 14 finished, nearly twice as many that weren't done. People wondered why this was. They thought, this is what the article was saying. They, you know, they thought, well, maybe it's because sculpting is a painful process. It takes patience. It takes focus. And sometimes, you know, you get to work and you find out you can't do what you want to do or it just takes time and it, it's hard to finish. But other people said that, no, he was an artist and he was intentional about what he did. And, and the, the unfinished sculpture was actually a statement. Michelangelo was actually a devout Catholic, had faith in God, and some of his notes and writings, he, he said he believed that sculptors were really a, a tool of God, because God is the creator, but a sculptor just reveals what's there. And so for that reason, they said that the unfinished sculptures were a statement that he was making, that there are more people that will bail halfway. There were more people that are unwilling to let the sculptor finish his work than to allow themselves to be used under the master's hands. Look, I, I don't know where you're at, but could I just encourage you? Let God finish what he started. If God has started going to work in your life, don't bail halfway. I, I think sometimes we, we, we stop in the process because it's painful. So some, sometimes we stop in the process because it takes too long. So, so sometimes we're stopping in the process because it doesn't make sense. But we just let God finish what he started. If you made a fresh start today or last week or, or recently in our church, or at any point, just don't, don't stop in the process. I, I want to read to you a verse of scripture that Paul wrote. He wrote it to the church at Ephesus when they were facing a similar challenge. He said in Ephesians 2 verse 8, he says, saving is all God's idea, all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both, the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we had better get doing. Another translation of the same verse says that we are God's workmanship. We're God's masterpiece. This is God's development process. You submit yourself to his hands and let him go to work. You know, really, think about it. Nobody was better acquainted with the hammer and the spike than Jesus. They took his hands, nailed him to a cross, 
They took his feet, nailed it to a bloody cross, and he endured the pain so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could have a fresh start, so you could be where he called you to be.